It's the Growing for Market podcast. Uh, so you don't want to know about how every piece is under the hood works. You just want to know that there's a, a driving wheel and there's two pedals or three if you're a manual driver. And that's it. And that's where we want to get. So what is the right driving wheel we can give people? What is the right brake pedal and the right accelerator? And then have that kind of higher level leverage over things. And there's some more detail that we can talk about the plant. What are the leverage you can have on the plant? And then what Arusha we're trying to do is just give you the wheel, give you the pedals and have you be able to go as as quickly as you can from point A to point B without worrying about the car. Uh, but then if you want to understand what's happening behind it, I think that's what we're here for today. Hello and welcome to the Growing for Market podcast, where we talk about growing, marketing and the business of growing vegetables and flowers for local markets like farmers markets, CSAs, farm stands and local wholesaling. I'm Andrew Mefford, your host and the editor of Growing for Market magazine. For 32 years, the only magazine devoted solely to flower and vegetable market farmers. If you're enjoying the podcast, just wait till you see the magazine. Go to growingformarket.com for more. Also, if you could give us a follow and a rating, it really helps other like-minded people find the podcast. And now let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. It's with their generous support that we can bring you the podcast for free. Start 2024 off right with Local Line. Local Line is the all-in-one sales platform for direct market farms and food hubs. Increase your sales and streamline your processes with features including e-commerce, inventory management, subscriptions, online payments, and more. Trusted by thousands of farmers across North America, Local Line is the platform you need to take your farm to the next level. Subscriptions start as low as $39 per month. Try Local Line today and receive a free premium feature for one year and receive 15% off Local Line's marketing services using the coupon code Growing for Market. That coupon code is Growing, the number four, Market, Growing for Market, all one word, for 15% off Local Line's marketing services and one free premium feature for a year at Local Line. Every fall on our farm, we order a couple sling bags of Fort V potting soil from Vermont Compost. Over the years, we've tried a lot of the compost and potting soil options out there, from making our own to buying off the shelf. And we keep coming back to Vermont compost, both for overall quality and batch-to-batch -batch consistency. It's that consistency that keeps us coming back. There are so many variables that affect how good your seedlings are. We know Vermont compost will give our plants the best possible foundation, so we can stick to worrying about all the other stuff and not the potting soil. Visit vermontcompost.com GFM for more details. Whether it's tomatoes to market, flowers in the spring, or vegetables for your family, growing in a greenhouse protected from the weather provides the right environment for a harvest you can count on. Rimmel greenhouses are strong, durable, and easy to assemble, offering the quality that you need to grow productively year-round. Rimmel greenhouses are proudly built right here in America and shipped to anywhere in the U.S. With technical sales staff members located across the country, many with growing experience, the Rimmel Greenhouse's team of experts will serve as your trusted partner every step of the way to ensure that you get exceptional value from your greenhouse investment. Visit Rimmel.com to get a quote today. I am so excited to welcome Bootstrap Farmer as a sponsor of the podcast. I've known them for a dozen years, and if anyone tells you nothing is made in the USA anymore, well, they're headquartered and warehoused in Paris, Texas. They make their own all-metal, all-inclusive greenhouse frames of steel made in the USA and fabricated in Texas, and their heavy-duty, reusable propagation and microgreens trays are Midwest-made. 
With a complete range of supplies, they have just about everything for propagation and growing, including heat mats, ground cover, frost blankets, silage tarps, irrigation, and trellising. Want to color code your seed starting flats? They've got heavy-duty trays that will last for years in a full range of colors, great for keeping farm seedlings separate from retail or just for fun. And they have an experienced team of growers to support everything they sell. If you've heard of the NRCS High Tunnel Initiative providing grants for hoop houses but have been put off by the paperwork, Bootstrap Farmer has a guide that will walk you through the application process so you can get your hoop house funded this winter. For all that and more, check out Bootstrap Farmer at bootstrapfarmer.com. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Guillaume Lambert to the podcast. Guillaume is one of the founders of Orisha, a company that is helping growers automate their greenhouses. They make software that can automatically control your greenhouse for you, which can be controlled from a computer or a smartphone, so you can keep tabs on your greenhouse and make changes no matter where you are. Now, you may remember Guillaume from a couple of weeks ago when we had him on the pod and we talked about how the Orisha software works and covered the basics of greenhouse automation. So go back and listen to that one for the first part of this conversation, if you didn't catch that. But both of us being big greenhouse nerds, I think we talked for close to two hours just about the basics and didn't get anywhere near to covering all the questions that I had for Guillaume. So he was kind enough to come back today to cover advanced greenhouse automation, which I am excited about because I'm such a big greenhouse nerd myself. In fact, I wrote a book about it, The Greenhouse and Hoop House Growers Handbook, just to prove my greenhouse nerdery. Okay, also to help growers get the most out of their greenhouses and hoop houses, but it was a labor of love because I love growing in greenhouses so much and think greenhouses have so much to contribute in continuing to expand the local food movement. However, Before we get into the conversation, I want to provide a little window into the kinds of things that fascinate me about plants and that good greenhouse control can do for growers. I want to lead off with this for two reasons, one of them being that I didn't know about this stuff until I was working in the seed industry and getting access to high-tech greenhouses that use a lot of techniques that even growers with less high-tech greenhouses can benefit from if they know they exist. And secondly, in case growers think this is just going to be a super technological conversation about opening and closing vents and set points and things like that, I wanted almost to write a little poem to plants and how fascinating they are. Because at the end of the day, what this whole conversation is about is reaching the same goal as any farmer. Is making your plants happy. So I want to make sure that it is understood that there are two sides to good greenhouse automation. And it starts with the plants. The first thing is understanding what makes your plants happy. Then once you know what will make them happy, you can move on to trying to make that happen with greenhouse automation. In fact, it's easier to make your plants happy with some level of automation. As we discussed in the last interview, it's not possible to make all the changes to optimize the climate throughout the day, shutting the greenhouse up when it gets cloudy and opening it back up every time it gets sunny. And that's one of the real benefits of greenhouse automation. Not only do you not have to keep running back and forth from the greenhouse as the weather changes, but the automation can make more subtle changes from minute to minute as the weather changes. For example, partly closing vents when it becomes overcast in order to closely match whatever the hot, cold set points you have set for a crop. So. I don't feel like I have to convince too many growers that automation is a good thing in that it saves them time and does a better job than a human could. But 
I want to briefly talk about some of the more advanced forms of plant control that you can do with good automation, partially because I don't know how many growers in our audience are familiar with high-level plant control through climate manipulation. And also, in case anyone is listening and thinking this is just going to be a boring technical discussion of greenhouse hardware, I mean, that sounds great to me, but I want to show them the kinds of insights we can get from plants once we have better control. What I want to talk about is known as vegetative or generative steering, and the idea is that you can get your plants to do what you need them to do if you understand their language. But first, I should probably explain that this plant steering, or we could say plant balancing concept, mostly applies to the vining fruiting crops, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers, and eggplant. Because if you think about it, the vining fruiting crops are doing two types of growth at the same time. They are growing that vine to keep the plant going into the future, and at the same time they have to be making fruit. The plant thinks it's reproducing. We think the plant is growing tasty things for us to eat. So this is complicated because the plant needs to maintain some kind of balance between these two types of growth, otherwise problems ensue. If a plant becomes too generative or focused on flowers and fruit, growth of the vine will slow down and yield of fruit in the future will be compromised. If a plant becomes too vegetative, it will put all the focus on growing the vine and leaves and suckers and will not produce much fruit. Whether they know it or not, greenhouse and hoop house growers are probably familiar with plants that are too vegetative. This tends to happen a lot in the springtime. Plants are naturally more vegetative when they're young anyway. And you can get a crop of hoop house tomatoes that looks, looks like it's off to a great start, growing really fast, huge, dark leaves. And then the first clusters of fruit, of course, the most valuable ones, may be small and or slow to ripen, or the plant may skip that first cluster altogether. This is so frustrating because you know your customers are already salivating for those first tomatoes and they just sit there on the vine taking forever to ripen. Those are classic signs that a plant is too vegetative or focusing all its energy on the vine and leaves and not putting enough energy into the fruit. What many growers may not know is that there is a way to steer crops in the direction growers want them to go if they are unbalanced. Because what we usually want is a nice, balanced plant that is putting some energy into the vine and leaves for the future and some energy into the fruit for today's harvest. So what I think is so fascinating about plants and about greenhouse automation is that you can use environmental control to steer the plants to do what you want them to do. One of the most classic examples is day-nighttime temperature differential. A bigger differential will make plants more generative or put more energy into fruit and flowers and a smaller day-nighttime differential will make plants put more energy into vine and leaves. Why? Because by manipulating the day-night differential, you're making the plant think it's in a specific part of the year. For example, in the summertime, day-night temperature differentials are smaller. The night temperature is closer to the day temperature, which makes the plant think it's summertime, the living is easy, and it's got tons of time to grow, no need to focus on reproduction. So that's why a smaller day-night time differential will make plants more vegetative. On the other hand, a big day-night temperature differential will make the plants think that winter is coming and that they had better hurry up and reproduce. So that's why a big day-night differential will tend to steer plants in the direction of being more generative or putting energy into fruit and flowers because they think the season is going to end and they better hurry up and reproduce. So 
I just wanted to share that because I think it's so fascinating that we can control our plants by manipulating the environment if we know what to control for. Now, day-night temperature differential is probably one of the most famous things you can use to steer plants, but there are a lot of other factors you can use and also a lot of other factors you can use to read the plants and tell what state they are in. Vegetative, generative, or balanced. So an experienced grower can walk into a greenhouse, take one look at the plants, and tell whether they're in a generative, vegetative, or balanced state. I wanted to say all this in case people were listening, thinking that automation takes all the romance out of plant growing. I think it doesn't. In fact, it gives us the chance to get better at making our plants happy by being able to control the environment more closely and see how the plants react and learn from that and make them happier over time as we learn more about what makes them happy. So basically, I wanted people to know that in addition to some greenhouse software and hardware nerdery, there should be a fair amount of greenhouse plant nerdery as well. And just to actually end off here, this isn't so much a plug for my book, but there's a chart in my book that talks about all the signs that a plant is in vegetative or generative state of growth. And so I've got about 10 of them here. And so, you know, there's a bunch of things that you can read. For example, when the leaves are long, thick, leathery, dark green, it's vegetative. When the leaves are short, thin, and light green, it's more generative. When the stem is thick, it's vegetative. When it's thin, it's generative. So most of these factors tend to be two sides of the coin kind of thing. But I just wanted people to know that there are a lot of things that you can look at to gauge whether your plants are in a vegetative or generative state. And then there's another chart. A bigger one. I don't know if people can see that. Plus, it's a podcast, so maybe we can release this as a video. But, you know, my point is that there's about 20 different factors that we can use to manipulate to make a plant more vegetative and generative. So, I mean, just really quickly to run down, as I mentioned, the age of the plants. So younger plants tend to be more vegetative. Older plants tend to be more generative, 24-hour temperature average, night temperature, difference between day and night temperature, speed of change from day to night temperature, relative humidity, amount of ventilation, air movement, water stress, frequency of irrigations, time of the first irrigation of the day, time of the last irrigation of the day. There's more. I could go on, but just going to say part of the reason I use my own book is because I can't get accused of plagiarizing it. You know, it's, it's free to, for me to use since I wrote it. But also, I just wanted to show people that I only had time to focus on one thing in the intro, main day-night temperature being one of the biggest things that people can control. But there's, there's a lot. There's, it's really fascinating. There's a lot of ways that you can both read your plant, and then there's also a lot of ways you can steer the plant to get to get it to do what you want it to mostly based on making the plant think you know something's going on outside that it needs to either reproduce or grow grow the plant more for so one way to bring this back around to orisha guillaume is that i know uh, from our other conversation we were talking about how to come up with set points and things like that and i know that as far as steering goes I think you were saying that you, there were some sliders in the Orisha software so that you can ask for a stronger plant, which I would think I think is more vegetative, or I forget what you you call the, call the generative option. But I mean, I think the bottom line here, once again, is that you know a lot of like the big high tech greenhouses, the growers that I talked to, they got very into like their set points, and I think that a lot of them, a lot of the big growers thought their special sauce, uh, you know, what they could offer. A particular greenhouse is like, oh, I know really well how to change my set points to get like 
really generative or really vegetative or like grow the crop at a certain speed. Like that's another, I wonder if you agree or disagree with this, Guillaume, but I know that uh, growers would think about the average temperature as the speed of the crop, basically being like a higher average temperature will grow the plant faster. And if your plants are growing too fast and you want to kind of slow them down, you bring down that temperature average. And so I think in the big greenhouses, they would in fact have somebody you work there full time and they may even have employed their own consultants to try to come up with their like perfect mix of like fertility and set points and all all this stuff. Like what I just want to get get across to people is there are a lot of factors. There's a lot of levers, if you will. There's a lot of levers you can pull if you know what the levers are to make the plants a little stronger, a little weaker or something like that. And that's why I love that idea of Arisha of maybe you don't have to fiddle with every single little set point, you have some sliders. So can you tell us a bit about those sliders and how a grower, let's say if a grower wanted their plant to be stronger or say more generative, how does that work Work in the, in the Orisha system? Yeah, sure. I think you said it right earlier that plants are kind of, if you want to optimize your plants, you want to f- focus on what your plant needs and not what your like your hardware needs and that's where we're trying to get like having farmers look at their plants and be able to see in like easy stuff like how many leaves do i have how many fruits i have and try to guide people to understand the needs of the plant and then we we want like with the show we want to build a system behind it that you just say okay here's how my plant look and we figure out all the nerdy stuff so I think today we don't need to talk about all the nerdy details. Uh, I wanted to give some tips on how people can do it uh, themselves, uh, but not go into too much detail of like nerdy hardware stuff. So what you were asking is about the slider, how we can make it. And that's an example of how we can define what the greenhouse should do based on what the plants look like, what the plants tell you. You were talking about the plant language earlier. I really like that. So and that's what people do in big greenhouses, right? They, they go to their plants, they're basically talking to them or watching them. And then they've, they make all the calculation in their head of like very smart people with their bookshelves of knowledge in their brain. And they're figuring out, okay, so the plant looks like this. And so I need to change my heater set point to that thing. And then that means I need to change my ventilation set point and whatever. So we want to kind of get to that place where you can just say, okay, my plant is too weak. It's it's going too fast, like you said earlier. So let's just slow it down. And then you have a slider saying, okay, my, my plant is too weak, running too fast for the amount of food that, that, that it has. So the system, like, figure out the rest. We can adapt the climate. In this case, it's the temperature average that we're playing with uh, so that it will kind of fix that problem for you and kind of help the plant get to where it wants to be to be healthy and have a good immune system against disease, produce better and all of that, that, that kind of stuff. And that's kind of the first step that we, we've developed uh, to help farmers kind of have, a, a, I don't know if I can say that, but like a need like a plant need based system instead of a set point, geeky, temperature, whatever system. And that's only a first step. And we have many ideas of how we can build on it. And this winter, we want to bring that further so that the next season people can benefit from even more. And the one after that, hopefully even more. And we, we want to keep learning how we can systemize all these bookshelves of information that growers typically like industrial growers expert have in their head so that it can become something that for like small scale farmers can think about 
because it's not it's accessible. It's not too complex anymore. Yeah, so we got that slider with for the um, vigor of the plant. So if it's too weak or if it's too strong, and for like beef, tomatoes, one way to like there's many in your book. What what I am looking at for like the strength of the plant is the size of the stem, the diameter of the stem, and we tried to find some visual image so that people can know what it is. Because at first we're saying, oh, it should be ten mill- millimeters. And that doesn't even work in the States because it's metric stuff, right? So we tried to find like an easy way so that people can see visually, okay, it's good or not. And you don't need to measure it with some tool. And I, I think the idea I would give people is like a 2A battery. That should be the same in the state and in Canada. So a, a 2A battery is about the size of the stem that you're aiming for. So if it's smaller than that, you're keeping your temperature probably too high. There could, there could be other problems, but if we keep it simple, let's take to the temperature. So the average temperature is too high in a greenhouse. If it's bigger than a 2A battery, then it's too big. You're losing energy in the vine that you could have in tomatoes. So that kind of helps visualize what the plant needs. And then you can just, with Orisha, you can just say in the system, okay, so it's it's too weak. It's, it's smaller than a 2A battery uh, diameter stem. So uh, the rest, you don't need to think about it. So you can just focus on the plant need and how, how to make it happy, as you said earlier. How we can nurture our plants better so that everyone's happy with more yields and uh, more comfortable uh, development growth for the plant. Yeah. Happy plants, happy grower, lots of tomatoes, doing well. Happy customers. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what I'm getting from you is that that's one way you're telling people to gauge how strong or weak their plant is by measuring the stem so it's like the the what I would call the head of the plant. So it's like you you're probably saying some like I don't know ten inches below or what is that twenty five centimeters, something like I think a lot I forget exactly what it is, but I know what a lot of people do is measure the the part of the plant that's actively growing, which is what we call the head of the plant. It's like the top ten or twelve inches of the plant, right? And so because that is the like farther down on the vine, like where you're picking tomatoes, you know that vine grew. So like whatever size it was going to be a long time ago. Right. And so that's why a lot of these indications in greenhouse growing tell you to like, go look at the head of the plant yeah. because whatever's happening at the head of the plant. Right. So the top 10 or 12 inches is what what's happening right now in the, in plant growth. And so I think the advantage to that is, is that you can see the trend. Okay. Because if let's say like you're saying that, you know, that the stem is getting thinner and thinner, that means, yeah, the plant is is getting weaker. And so if you notice that when that's happening up at the head of the plant, you can make changes before it's really affected your fruit production. Whereas if you wait until, let's say, the plant is really weak and you're not getting much fruit to realize like, oh, this plant is not in good shape, it can take weeks to re, you know, revigorate that plant, right? And so that's why it sounds like you, and that's what a lot of greenhouses do. I know they have like people who, you know, really big greenhouses have people who might be also like IPM people and looking at pests and things like that, but they go, they take measurements on the plants to see the trend. And so that's interesting. That's a a good point. Like uh, at the end of the plant, at the the head of the plant, uh, I didn't precise that because if you go at the bottom, then it's kind of, Months ago, you don't you don't care about that. It's, uh, and if you go too high, like at the tip, very tip, then it's just small because it's it's the tip. <laughs> so I, I think t- ten inches is, is a good measure. 
if I remember correctly, yeah, the people say 25 centimeters here, I believe. So that, that's a good idea. And one thing I want to put emphasis on is you said that people have, like in big greenhouses, they have people that do that all day, right? But for small farmers, it's, you don't have to do that all day. They're just doing it once a week when you get into your greenhouse and you develop that kind of habit and feeling of, you don't, we don't want them to measure because we know that they are not going to do it because it's one more, it's easy, but it's one more easy task on the list of a big ton of stuff to do. So just having that feeling that you enter in your greenhouse, you see, okay, how big is the tip, like the, the, the head of the, of the plant? And then you adjust once a week and that's already like a huge change to what you were doing. And uh, so you don't ad- adjust, as you said, when there's like three clusters that have been poorly made or something and it affects your bottom line at the end of the day and the stress that generally comes with it (laughs) yeah because if it's been like you said if it's been going on for a while it may be multiple clusters and you know if you have three fruit clusters in a row that are under yielding you know that can cost a lot of yield and a lot of money right there yeah and also the feeling of helplessness of not knowing what to do it's kind of, oh, it's not working well. What should I do? It could be irrigation. It could be temperature. It could be whatever, bad soil or something. So it's we're trying to make all the, the different factors into something uh, graspable for, for people to use. Because uh, there's like we want, uh, I don't know, like have you ever seen the image of a barrel and you have one of the piece of wood that is shorter than the other one? Yeah. So you, you can fill the barrel up to that shorter, I don't, how do you call that piece of wood? Well, we call them sta- staves. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, I get your analogy. So you can only fill the water there. So the, you need to fill all the needs of the plant, like a human, once again. Like, if you don't feed your kid, then it probably won't grow strong, even though if you give them a lot of water. So it's the same thing with the plant. You need to fill all the needs. But if you look, you need to look all the time at all the needs and you don't know, you don't have any reference to what to do, it's hard. So we're trying to keep that as simple with how can we get 80% of the results with as little trouble to get there. Yeah. Well, that is a great analogy to make about the, you know, barrel is only going to fill up as high as its its lowest stave. That's a great way to think about growing. And I really love this idea of the, the sliders to control plant vigor because, yeah, growers, small growers wear a lot of hats. I mean, that's, you know, like that's big greenhouses will have, you know, a dedicated position of someone just, you know, measuring plants in, in it. But then, you know, I think more our kind of growers probably are, you know, have to do their own accounting. They have to network with the farmer's market. They have to write their CSA newsletter. You know, they have to go manage the employees. Yeah. So I love that idea that you can, you know, basically simplify it down to a slider for growers that don't, you know, want to want to focus on all the other things of running a farm and don't necessarily want to be a a greenhouse expert. I would be the one who's in there like, playing with the set points and stuff. But I think that's the that's the point is that if you don't want to get into that level of nerdery, you can just, you know, use the sliders. And so a follow-up question on the sliders is, I don't know, is it like an algorithm or something of like, I don't know, that might, I think you're more, oh, well, I'm not a programmer at all. So you probably know more about that. Basically, like, is it taking in information and is it mostly, if you want to make the plant stronger or weaker, is it mostly focusing on average temperature? Like, are there a number of different things? I guess that's where I get to my algorithm. I'm not even sure if that's the right analogy, but like, you know, I think of an algorithm as this thing that can manipulate multiple 
you know, instead of just pulling a lever, controlling one thing, an algorithm can sort of like synthesize multiple different data streams and make multiple changes. And so is that right to call? I guess what I want to know is your slider are mostly based on temperature or is it temperature and other things? Can you even tell me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used to, I, I developed most of the system back in the days. Now I have a team that does it and I don't even know what they're doing anymore. So they're, they're getting smarter than me and I'm not following. But I, I know how it works I, I, a high level uh, now. Uh, but I know less and less of the, the details behind the, under the hood. But uh, to answer your question right now, it's more, it, actually, it's only about the temperature average. Uh, other point we would like to add in the future is with uh, the irrigation, for instance, and adding, uh, n- not necessarily controlling, uh, but it's more about the, sometimes just asking the farmer a question to make them aware, oh, that could be that. You should look that. Uh, if it's not fixing the problem, you should look at if your drip tapes are have problems or something. So that's where we want to go. Uh, but the first step is really to kind of change the mentality, how people do things and how ourselves we uh, design the system based on the right leverage uh, system you were asking, mm-hmm. or you were talking about earlier. So a bit like a, a car, I, I would uh, use a car as an analogy this time. It's uh, you have everything that happens under the hood, right? And I don't know anything about mechanics, but, and most people don't, right? Uh, so you don't want to know about how every piece is under the hood works. You just want to know that there's a, a driving wheel and there's two pedals or three if you're a manual driver. And that's it. And that's where we want to get. So what is the right driving wheel we can give people? What is the right brake pedal and the right accelerator? And then have that kind of higher level leverage over things. And there's some, more detail that we can talk about the plants, what are the leverage you can have on the plants. And then what Arusha we're trying to do is just give you the wheel, give you the pedals and have you be able to go as as quickly as you can from point A to point B without worrying about the car. Uh, but then if you want to understand what's happening behind, and I think that's what we're here for today, uh, it's to get these review, how you can control that and what Arusha is basically doing or what it will do because we we're just at the beginning of our development of all these ideas and it's to understand what's kind of how we can simplify how a plant works without going to biology and stuff and there's kind of three places where the role of a farmer is is how you can maximize photosynthesis because that's how you feed the plant to grow then how you use that food do you use it to develop the vines or to grow fruits or basically you want to balance it. And then the last point is how you can protect the plant from diseases. So these are kind of the three goals that you're aiming for. If you do them right, then uh, it will help each other also. So if you're helping doing more photosynthesis, then the plant's going to have a better immune system. It's going to resist better to all the pests and diseases that uh, that can ha- happen. So these are your three goals. And then you have simply like the ones, like the ones that are related to climate or optimal conditions. It's you, you can control the humidity, the temperature and irrigation. And it, humidity is tricky because it depends a lot on, on the temperature. And if you have to yourself decide how you have to get rid of the humidity in the greenhouse and how do you do that at the same time as maintaining the temperature, it's a mess. I, I, I've done it. <laughs> I had to do it in the beginning. And then I thought, oh, 
no way farmers should do that. That doesn't make sense. So we just put that into the system. And now in two clicks, everyone can benefit from it. And But the idea, if you don't have a system like Orisha, is you want to have the right humidity deficit or an equivalent is the vapor pre- pressure deficit, which unless you want to talk more about it, it's, it's kind of a, the language of the plant for humidity. And it depends on right. the temperature. So if we talk in percentages, usually the ideal percentage you want to aim for will vary depending on the temperature. And that humidity level is what will allow the, allow the plant to transpire and to do photosynthesis. Because if it's not transpiring, it won't be able to produce sugar. It won't be able to photosynthesize the light of the sun. And light is your limiting factor. So you want to optimize that as much as possible if you want to get your plant as happy as possible and your bottom line as happy as possible also. So uh, that's humidity is important. It's hard to control and it it will vary depending on the temperature. But if you can use humidity deficit or vapor pressure deficit, then uh, it's always the same thing. So if you have a way to control your humidity level with one of these two system, then you just set it once and then you're kind of done. You don't have to think about it anymore. So you can focus on more hardcore stuff. Yeah. So the humidity deficit is, it's a tricky concept and it's tricky just to control humidity in the greenhouse. A simple way to do it. Most people do when they don't have any system to do it for them is just in the morning, they go to the greenhouse, they crack open the side roll up and then they start heating if they have some heating uh, system. And, and then that will all the humidity of the night will kind of go out and you kind of start your day in a better place. But that will quickly refill of humidity and then you get stuck with it unless you want to do back and forth to the greenhouses. So uh, automation will allow you to do that. And then still, if you're automated, you have to figure out how, when, and how can you optimize everything. And depending on the outside condition, again, that's kind of a mess to do. And it's, I, I don't think it's farmer's job to f- think about that. So that's what, what, what we've been doing, developing like a strategy that kind of optimize everything for people. But other than that, if, if you don't have that, you can just crack open the side roll-ups if you have heating, uh, just start the heater for, um, I don't know, 15 minutes. And then that's already like a first step towards controlling humidity in the greenhouse. But then if you want at some point to get to that point where you set your humidity deficit level and then everything will, you, you will cruise on simplicity <laughs> for uh, the diseases in the greenhouse also, as well as the yields possible because uh, you won't block photosynthesis because of it's too humid. So that's the level of humidity. Then you have the temperature, which depends on the light. Then depending on the light, you want to adapt your temperature average to it. That's uh, like, so depending on how your plant looks like, if it's too weak, too strong or balanced, then depending how much light you have and uh, the stage of the plant that gives you the average temperature you want. So I can give more tips on that later, but kind of doing an overview of everything. And the last one is the the one you mentioned for uh, controlling your vegetative and generative plants. So to get to that balanced middle where you everyone is happy and that's the difference, the temperature between day and night. So that's the last kind of le- leverage you can have on the plants regarding temperature. And the last one is irrigation. But I think we're going to talk more about that later. So I'm just going to l- let you move on to the next question. Uh, okay. 
Well, I, I just want to loop back really quickly on the whole humidity and vapor pressure deficit thing, because you mentioned vapor pressure deficit, and I also don't know how many people in our audience have even heard that term, vapor pressure deficit. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think one thing about, I guess it's like humidity and vapor pressure deficit are two ways of measuring the same thing. You know, humidity is like how full, given whatever the capacity of the air is to hold moisture, how full it is. And vapor pressure deficit is, I think it's more precise when we come to plants because it tells us how easy it is for the plants to respire. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're talking about is how, of course, when plants, you know, draw water up through the roots and they have to respire. So they have to, like you're saying for photosynthesis, they have to give off, they have to cycle that moisture from up from the roots through the vine and they give it off through the, the stomata in the leaves. And so, but plants don't have lungs, you know, they can't actively respire like we do. They basically depend on the environment around the tomato plant being dry enough that the the moisture will evaporate out of those stomata to keep the moisture cycling through the plant and keep photosynthesis happening. And so I think what you're referring to, correct me if I'm wrong, is that on, let's say, a cool but sunny day, it would be really easy to just keep the greenhouse closed up or just vent it a tiny bit. And if plants are respiring a lot and the, the greenhouse is mostly closed, of course, the, the air gets really humid from all the moisture that the plants are, are giving off. And then the air becomes pretty saturated, high level of humidity, low amount of vapor pressure deficit, and they can't give off any more. They can't give off any more moisture. And so they can't keep photosynthesizing. So that's that's what you're talking about, right, is it's important to dump some of that humidity so that the plants can continue to respire and continue to photosynthesize. Yeah, exactly. So you, we're talking about the stomata. It's kind of the the key of the plant. If you can control these, then uh, you're going to be fine. And if it's what you said is when it's too humid, the, the water can get out of there because it's a bit like, it's like human once again. So when we when it's a warm day, like a warm, dry day in the summer, it's not as bad as a warm, humid day because when it's humid, you cannot... Tr- you cannot sweat, you cannot transpire and cool yourself down. And the plant has the same system. And the, what's different about the plant is that everything goes from there. It's like they're eating kind of through their skin pores, well, which yeah. are the stomatas. So if, if you cannot sweat, then you cannot eat, you cannot create sugar through photosynthesis. And then you're not, if you're not sweating, you're not going to drink from the roots and kind of all the machine that that is the plant is kind of shuts down. Like, yeah, so the, the machine breaks. Like it's not it's not working well. And uh, when you get to these places where the stomatas are closing and it cannot respire, transpire anymore, then you're losing hours of growth at a time. And when that happens, also the plant cannot regulate its temperature. So if it's really sunny and it's warm, the plant is just gonna overheat. And then you're going to have a problem with leaves getting all dried and the plant is going to be grumpy. <laughs> well, yeah, good good point is that respiration is cooling off for them, just like sweating is cooling for us. And so, yeah, if it's so humid in the greenhouse that they can't respire, they're going to heat up. In fact, like if you go into a greenhouse when everything's working the way that it should, if you touch the leaves, say like a big tomato plant, if you touch the leaves of a tomato plant in a a greenhouse on a sunny day, they should feel cooler 
than the ambient air temperature, right? Because there's all that there's all that respiration going on. In fact, like that can be a sign that things aren't going well. Either the humidity is too high, or like like sometimes if the irrigation system, like if the irrigation accidentally got plugged and the plants are getting watered and they've shut down because they're they're about to wilt. You know, plants that are about to wilt will actually feel warm. In, instead of feeling cooler than the air temperature because they're not respiring anymore. So, and you're right, that's such a complex thing. Like that's, like you said, regulating humidity is such a complex interaction between, you know, indoor air temperature, outdoor air temperature, and how much respiration is going on in the greenhouse. Probably other factors, you know, that I don't even know about, but it's very complicated, yeah, to regulate humidity. And so that's a huge hat to be able to take off a grower's head of like, having to regulate humidity. And it can, as we, we touched on briefly in the last conversation, it can be very complicated. And, and you mentioned just now, there's this paradoxical situation where sometimes growers will open the vents and run the heaters at the same time, basically to release moist, warm air and bring cooler, drier air into the greenhouse and then run the heater to get it up to the temperature that you need. And so it's, it's something that can seem very paradoxical. I think growers have a really hard time considering how, how expensive propane <laughs> and most of the fuels that people are using are. Growers have a really hard time opening the vents and turning on the heaters at the same time. So you can just let automation do it you know, by taking into account all the complicated things that, that add up to humidity in a greenhouse and just let your automation do it for you instead of having to turn that heater on when the, or, or like do it yourself. I guess the, the Arisha system might do it for you, but at least it's taking into consideration a lot of factors and, and doing it carefully, whereas it can feel kind of reckless. Like as, as a grower myself, it can feel very reckless to like, all right, let's open the vents and turn on the heater. <laughs> Yeah, when I started doing this, I was asking people, how do you dehumidify? Because I wasn't a greenhouse expert. I uh, didn't know much <laughs> when I started. So I was asking a lot to people. And I realized how nobody knew how to do it, actually. So I kind of went back to, in, in, in physics, they talk about first principles. So to kind of understand the like funky word of thermodynamics in the greenhouse, how, how things change and how we can optimize that energy. So when it's too humid outside, you don't want to flush your warm your humid air because it's, it's as humid outside so you don't want to do it the same way then so we we, we tried to think about all those different op op opportunity where we can save fuel and energy doing that and to be honest there's still a lot of ideas that would like to improve on it but since people don't have to micromanage how it's done anymore and you can just say okay just do it for me then we can keep on building and improving the thing we, and people don't need to change anything in what they're doing, and it's going to improve for them once we add these new strategies in, into it. Because uh, during the summer, uh, I don't want to. No, during when it's cold outside, so spring and, and fall, you don't need as much. Well, typically in spring you don't need it, but in, in fall you don't need to heat when you're dehumidifying. You can have the sun do it for you if it's sunny. While in the summer, you need it because the difference in temperature with outside and outside is not favorable. So we can add these, all these tiny, uh, specific, uh, nerdy, complicated optimization into the system so that everyone benefits from it. And we, we spend a few, I don't know, I'm not talking about money, but a few... Uh, I don't know, hundred hours on it, and then every like everyone in America can use it. That's that's kind of a, a good deal uh, overall for 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 people. So it's really interesting. I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that is interesting. I know from my experience working with growers that sometimes they would actually heat the greenhouse more than they need to for a certain crop. 
like for example, I think sometimes people just think like, oh, tomatoes, they're like this tropical crop. I need to make it really hot. And they're, they're like, it's like springtime, cold outside. The plants aren't even that big. And they're like bumping the greenhouse up to 80 degrees. And I'm thinking like, it's probably hotter than it needs to be. I mean, I hate to generalize, but even though they're hot weather crop, they don't actually need to be that hot. Like uh, what I'll just say, you know, something like you could do worse than set your your set points for tomatoes at like, say, 65 nighttime, 75 daytime. Right. So which doesn't sound that hot to people. And in fact, you know, pretty quickly, once it gets into summer, the challenge will be keeping the the greenhouse cool enough. But when we were talking before, you made a comment about not giving plants heat that the plant doesn't need, which, of course, will save growers money on heating. But is that what you were talking about when you were talking about not giving the plants heat that they don't even need? Yeah, well, there's that. Like when uh, you're looking at what growers are doing in big greenhouses, they keep it like the base temperatures. I have my calculator from Celsius to Fahrenheit. It's 65 Fahrenheit. (laughs) So uh, it's uh, that that's kind of the baseline for your tomatoes. And then depending on the light, you want to, you can accelerate and you should accelerate how you're like the metabolism of your plant. And that you do that depending on how much light you have outside. And that's like, if, if you're, well, probably people don't grow tomatoes all year round, but just to give an idea, like the best summer day, the sunnier summer day is going to be, there's going to be 10 times more sun than uh, the worst. No, no, sorry. The, uh, the so, like the winter, like like Christmas sunny day. So uh, in the summer you get ten times more energy. So you, you at that time you can keep the temperature higher to kind of process all that energy and allow the plant to use all these sugar during the night. Because if you don't do it, the plant's gonna start in the morning and her its reserve of of sugar that it's gonna have made the previous day are still gonna be full. So you won't be able to create more sugar. The plant's gonna be stuck there. So you want to flush all these sh- this, uh, the sugar that you produce during the day so that the next day you, you start on a clean slate. You can fill your reserves of sugar that you're going to flush the next night. So if you don't do it, then you're just losing uh, yields, basically. You're just spending money and energy attending to plants that aren't happy <laughs> and, and producing as much as possible. Uh, so uh, 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 one way to, to do it is kind of y- you're looking at your plant and how many fruits there is on it. So every, tell me if it's too uh, technical, but like the vine of a tomato plant needs about 125, if I'm not mistaken, joules. So joules are the kind of the unit of the solar radiation. And then for every cluster, you add another 100, yeah, 125 joules. And so if you, what's left after that, so if you, and if you have three clusters, it's, crap my maths i think it's 500 joules that you that the plant need to sustain itself then everything above that you can increase the temperature of uh uh, two let's say two fahrenheit per 125 more so that that you start on the baseline of 65 fahrenheit and then you increase two fahrenheit for every 100 joules that that exceeds the first 500 that's very technical but basically what what it means is that when it's when it's cloudy outside you don't want to heat your greenhouse as much as when it's sunny. When it's partly, you can put it in the middle and that's uh, good enough. And, and so that's what we're doing in the system is we, it's telling, okay, so what temperature do you want when it's sunny? When, what do you want when it's cloudy? And the system kind of 
will adapt through it. And we would like to get to a point where people don't need to do that in, anymore to find the right temperature. But still, when you do it, you can, we calculated that, I think you could save something like 10 to 20% on energy just by not heating for nothing. And when it's sunny, it's the sun who's going to heat the greenhouse. So it's it's all right if it's higher. But when it's cloudy, it's your heaters that are going to need to uh, come off, come up uh, to heat. <laughs> so that's one place where you can save. And then the second one is when you're in spring, keep it a bit colder. When it's baby crops, maybe not too cold, but you don't have to go to 80, 80 degrees. Actually, your tomato plants, I think, never needs to go that high. So you're just heating, you're just losing money for nothing. And it's not good for the planet either. So everyone's losing and the plant is unhappy. <laughs> you're probably going to have, your plant is going to get weak uh, because your metabolism, the plant metabolism will go too fast because it's warm. And then you're going to, uh, it's not going to have enough energy for the fruits. Yeah. You're going to have those less than a 2A battery stem. Yeah. Your stems are going to get skinny. Well, that was very technical, but I'm glad we went there because the thing is, even if someone's listening to this conversation saying that's more technical than I would ever want to get, it's good to know the principles. And so maybe they say like, okay, I'm glad it's like the car analogy you made earlier. Like they might say, I don't care uh, why my tomato plants work. It's like, I don't care why my car works as long as it starts every time. And I think that's one of the points of, of automation is that, you know, maybe it's interesting to know that it's complicated. Yeah. You can appreciate what is done yeah, for you. Exactly. <laughs> and well, and on the flip side too, tell me, Guillaume, if you agree with this or not, but so I think you talking about you keeping the, the rate of, of consumption of sugars consistent with the amount of energy coming into the greenhouse. Likewise, if people, if people just put their greenhouse at one set point for sunny days and cloudy days, you might actually weaken the plants because if, if they have their greenhouse set very hot on a cloudy day, that means that the plants aren't making that many sugars because there's not that much sun hitting the greenhouse. But the speed of the crop being, if you keep this, the temperature high, that means the speed of the crop is trying to grow as high on a cloudy day. And that can weaken the plant because the plant will try to grow faster then it ha is receiving energy for. And so I think that's a case for whether it's people changing their set points versus on a cloudy or sunny day or just automating them. You know, either way, <laughs> there's there's a lot to be gained, in both saving energy, but also not burning out your plants. You know, either like getting, the, like you said, on a hot day, plenty of sunlight, growing them fast so they, they process through all the sugars on a daily basis and are ready to make more the next day. And on a cloudy day, make sure you're saving money you're not wasting money making the greenhouse really hot that is only going to make your plants eat too many of their own sugars and weaken them over time. So very good reasons to have just different. Yeah. And if, like you said, I'm trying to bring, like I went into too much detail. I'm trying to bring back, bring it back down to some, what people can come out of the podcast with and can use is that if you have a way to make it warmer when it's sunny, and colder when it's darker outside, just do it. And it's not between 60 and 100. It's more between 65 and 75. Yeah, you were right. So I, th I think that's where, uh, at least for tomatoes, uh, that's where you want to keep your, your tomatoes. And so when it's super sunny in the summer, get them uh, to 75. When it's dark and it's a um, rainy day, then 65 is good. Yeah. 
that gives an idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like anything else. It's like it could get as complicated in those temperature things. But but I, I like kind of put those set points in my mind just because some t- like for growers who are like, yeah, like making the greenhouse thought they had to make it really hot. To my mind, like I think a lot of people thought they had to make it a lot hotter than that. And so because to my mind, between 65 and 75 doesn't really sound that hot it's pretty pleasant actually like it's to be a human between 65 and 75 is pretty pleasant and so i think growers thought like oh like if i want to grow this tropical crop i have to make it even hotter it's like no just chill chill on the heating just like make it like a comfortable temper at least with tomatoes and you know cucumbers eggplants and peppers for that matter a fairly comfortable temperature for us is also a fairly comfortable temperature for them in uh People can get as complicated as they want, but it's not a bad, it's not that those 65 to 75 is not a bad place to be for those crops. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you were saying earlier. We, we need to reproduce the nature of what their, how their, the, the tomato appeared. And it's more in, like in South America on, on the steps, as we were talking about earlier. And there it's, it's warm, like, because I don't know, I, I was there and I was really surprised how the sun was strong. So during the day when it's sunny, it's very warm, but when it's cloudy, it's freaking cold. Like I was there, I went to Ecuador and I thought, oh, Ecuador is like on, on the equator. It must be super warm, right? So I got there with shorts and t-shirts and it was rainy for two weeks and I was so cold. I had to buy clothes over there, like so much clothes. And, and the tomatoes are used to that. So it's, it's, that's the, the original, the native climates. So when it's not sunny, it's cold. And so same thing in, in, in our greenhouses. We want to reproduce that. Right, right. It, get, it gets back to, to making our plants happy once again, right? It's, I mean, that's, that's yeah. the interesting thing about greenhouse growing is that we're basically trying to tailor the conditions to the crop. But like you said, you know, this crop that developed in a, a, like a high desert environment where it can be very hot during the daytime and very cold during the nighttime, you know, we get into trying to replicate those kind of conditions with our, our temperature control. Like, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I saw a lot back when, you know, when I worked in the seed industry, what we would have is that we would have outdoor tomato varieties are vi- super different, right? If you're growing tomatoes in say Mississippi, you're probably growing a different variety than if you're growing in Quebec outdoor. Whereas what I noticed is for the greenhouse tomato varieties, they're growing almost the same in many cases, the same varieties from Mississippi and the deep South all the way up to, to Quebec, right? Because they put so much energy into tailoring that environment. Instead of tailoring the variety to the environment, as with outdoor growing, you're tailoring the environment to the variety. And so people basically just found the highest yielding, ideally the best tasting, you know, they just found the best varieties that work in North America and would grow similar varieties. I mean, you know, I think, uh, you know, I kid you not from the deep South in greenhouses, greenhouses from the deep south to up to Canada, uh, because they were they were all trying to replicate the same conditions if they knew what they were doing to, to that make the plant to make the plants happy. Yeah, we're all trying to reproduce the native condition of the tomato. Yeah. Well, you know, as long as we're talking about doing things in relation to the amount of solar energy, what about irrigation? Do you make set points of a certain amount of water per hour, or? Can an Orisha system also irrigate in relation to how much solar radiation the greenhouse is receiving so the plants just automatically get more water on a hot, sunny day? Yeah, we we have three ways of ir- irrigating. We, we want to make it simpler still, but how we do it, and then I'll kind of try to give the big principles behind it, is so the, the way we do it, the first thing is 
different timers depending on how much light you have. So we have th- three scenarios and you can adapt uh, different, like put timers differently depending on, on these three scenarios. So that's the, f- the first thing you can do. Then this, the two others are with specific sensors. The first one is like a soil, soil humidity sensor. And it's a tricky one. I don't, unless you're you really want to improve and understand your soil better. That one, we sold a lot for farmers here in Quebec because it was a grant and people could benefit from it greatly. So that was a good for in Quebec, but it, it, people had, it, it's too complex to use. I don't recommend it, but you, you can irrigate depending on how much, how humid is your soil. And it works a, a bit the same way than the water pressure deficit we talked about earlier for air humidity. So it's, it's that weird concept, but the, the goal is to keep the plant happy once again. So you can uh, irrigate with timers, you can irrigate with uh, soil humidity, depending on the threshold you want to put. And then the last way you can irrigate is with a solar radiation sensor. And that's when we get to that idea where the more light you receive, the more trends operation uh, the plant is going to do so the more water you want to give and it prevents you from giving too much water and then get, getting uh, diseases because it's too humid it stays humid all night and that kind of thing and it prevents you from doing uh, from not giving enough water and then the plants will kind of dry up and to protect itself it's going to shut down as we talked about earlier it's going to stop photosynthesis is going to stop transpiring which keeps it from regulating its temperature so we don't want to get there so like with everything we don't want to do too much we don't want to do too little but what is that it, it's kind of hard to it's it's complicated to d- define that but that's I, I think you mentioned it earlier but one um a rule of thumb that people have is for every joule of solar radiation you want to give two mi- milliliters for 10 square foot so that's still technical but see if we want to keep it simpler basically on a sunny day in summer i'm making some math on my laptop yeah so plants uh, like tomato plants on a sunny day for it it would need about 1.5 gallon of water i have too many conversion in my head like 1.5 gallon of water per 10 square foot that's to give an idea In, in the winter it's a tenth of that so still a lot of factors that you want to consider, but if you can do it, like you just t- tell the system for every 100 joules, give it five minutes of re- irrigation, then you don't need to think about it anymore. And the last thing that you need to consider is how much leaves do the plant have? So if you're pruning, uh, once the plant is mature, it's going to be the same all season. So you don't have to think about it. It's just for the first few weeks where the plant is growing and you kind of want to have a ramp up of irrigation to follow the plant's need because the more leaves, the more transpiration, the more water you need. So it's kind of, concepts are not that complicated. You just want to follow the light and the number of leaves. But in practice, do you have time to do it when you take care of everything else? That's where it gets challenging. So if you can just set it up and forget about it, that would be the best for everyone. And that's, uh, again, what where we're trying to get so that you can, like the humidity we talked about earlier, you set it up, forget about it, everyone's happy, your plant is happy. And what will you would need after that is just, okay, my plant is too generative, for instance, you were is making too much fruits and the leaves are getting shorter and stuff like that. So you can have a slider that would say, okay, my plant have that, it's too generative. And then the system can adapt. Okay, so I'm just going to try to give water in a bit more, wait a bit more before giving the water. 
it's gonna <laughs> give more like the water in smaller doses, but more frequently, so that the plant's gonna be more comfortable. It's gonna be less generative, and uh, you're gonna get to where you want. So you can focus on what do the plant need. You look at your plant, you see, okay, it's I, the leaves are short. I should do something about it. What should I do? And if you can just put that in the system, like leaves are short, and then we figure out, okay, so then we can do that. We can play with the differential of temperature, or we can play with the irrigation to try to get uh, to that point where you fix that issue where plants are wasting its energy getting unbalanced. Right. Yeah. So you can steer that plant, but yeah, back towards being balanced with, with things like in the, like irrigation, which is interesting because I've always heard that as the most precise way to do your irrigation is have, I assume this is our sensor again. So you've got a sensor in the greenhouse that's gauging in. So how, how much light, so that's where the jewels come in, right? Light, light is measured in sunlight is measured in jewels. So you've got a, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you got a sensor in your greenhouse, it's getting hit by the sun. So it knows how much energy, how many joules of energy are coming into the greenhouse. And then that, you know, it does the irrigation based on how much water you've told it to do in relation to how many joules from the sun. Yeah, exactly. You, you really relate. Everything depends on, on the light. So once you get that light sensor, you can adapt stuff to it and you don't need to think about that light impact on, on your plants anymore. And if you don't have that sensor, then the, the thing if we keep it simple, there's three things I would recommend farmers to keep in mind. If, if they want to adapt the irrigation, they think they have some issue with the irrigation, we can improve it. First thing is how much water you give uh, in one shot. And that depends on your soil. If you're in a sandy soil, if you grow in the soil first and you have a sandy soil, then you cannot give too much water at a time, right? Because it's just going to go through and you're going to wash out all the nutrients in your soil for nothing. So you want to give shorter time. So maybe two, three minutes at a time. If you're more in clay, then you can wait longer and give bigger shots of, of water. And what we see typically uh, here, it's like in between two and 10 minutes per shot of irrigation. And then uh, I was talking about earlier that the, the amount of water you want to give. So in the summer, like sunny day, tomatoes is about 1.5, a bit less than 1.5 gallon per 10 square foot. So you need to give that in a day. So if you're in, in sandy soil, you have to give more shot of irrigation to get to that point. And so if you have like four drip tapes and you irrigate for one minute, it's going to be... 0.04 gallon. So uh, maybe that's too complicated. And anyway, so you, there, you want to give a certain minutes of irrigation during the day, but you want to adapt it to the different kind of soil that you have and to the how much stress you want to give to the plant to get to that balance of generative versus vegetative. And the last point to consider when you're planning your irrigation is when to stop. So if you're if the last shot of water you give is 10 minutes before sunset, then the water is going to stay there the whole night and you increase your chance of having diseases in the greenhouse because the humidity all stays there and the plant doesn't need it at night because there's no light that's going to make it transpire. So at the end of the day, when the sun sets, you want the soil to be as dry as possible. Well, without getting too extreme about it, but you, you wanted the, the soil to be dry. And that's kind of hard to follow everything. So there's soil sensors I was talking about earlier that can help with that. Uh, the one we developed are 
more precise but more complex to use. I'm sure you can find some on Amazon that can give an idea if for people who want to fine tune what they're doing. But uh, otherwise, you can just put your hand in the soil, <laughs> and that's uh, that's a, another kind of sensor that's that is free and that people sometimes don't think about it. So you can just put your hand in your soil at the end of the day and try to aim for uh, the soil to be dry when you do that. And next morning, make sure that it's going to irrigate before the sun, uh, when the sun comes up, so that the plant has the water available to transpire, to regulate its temperature and everything. Right. Yeah, that's a good good rule of thumb, not to irrigate too close to uh, sunset. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that I think that whole explanation of, you know, how to irrigate by itself is probably just a reason for a lot of people to just automate it because it, it you know, like a lot, a lot of these <laughs> things, you know, it's, it's taking into consideration a bunch of different factors and probably easier just to automate it. Definitely easier. <laughs> Speaking of automation, I'm just going to cruise through this really quickly on, on your website. You talk about being able to automate everything from half fans, which are horizontal air, you know, half, I know you know this, I'm just for our audience, I'm going to say half fans are, it's an acronym for horizontal airflow. That's what HAF is, horizontal airflow fans. So positive and negative pressure vents, heaters, irrigation, carbon dioxide, side curtains, roof openings, misting systems, fan heaters for biomass and thermal screens. So they're I, we don't have enough time. We would be here all day long if we talked about all those different systems. I partially wanted to just read that out because to show people the range of things that can be integrated into to an automated system. And so while that may sound like a whole bunch of different greenhouse hardware, really, you know, you would have to have the side curtains, thermal screen and all this stuff. You'd have to have it in place, of course, to, to automate it. I think you know, probably growers who have only worked in smaller greenhouses don't know the full range of stuff that you can you can automate. And I mean, some some of it's pretty nifty, and a lot of it is very expensive to install. Also, can save you a lot of money. Like a quick, I just want to pull out like a quick, like what what we mean by a thermal screen is that a lot of big greenhouses around where the trusses, just above where the trusses are in the greenhouse, they have a screen that actually will go across. It will basically cut the top of the greenhouse off above where the plants are from the plant environment. And so they're pretty expensive to install, but they save a lot of money because of particularly during the early spring and the late fall, if, if you're growing deep, if you have a very long growing season, then it basically cuts your greenhouse off so you don't have to heat the space up at the top of the, the greenhouse, particularly when the sun is down and, it, and it's coldest and you don't need all that light transmission. So there's just a lot here. There's a lot you can do with the greenhouse. It's one of those things. You know what? If you just want to keep it simple, have some roll-up sides, have a heater. That's great. You know, I think growers will also, you know, a lot of growers will start out with a very simple structure. And they'll figure out, they'll either be like, okay, this works, you know, all I need is some automated roll-up sides and something that tells my heater when to come on and off and maybe something to tell my irrigation when to come on and off. And then some growers, you know, may realize that they can, maybe they're really dependent on vining fruiting crops. They want to expand. They want to get more efficient. You know, a lot of, a lot of these the improvements that we've talked about are, you know, increasing efficiency because of course it's really expensive to heat, heat a greenhouse. So, you know, I just wanted to really throw out there that, you know, we spent a lot, you know, most of our time talking about heating, humidity, uh, irrigation and stuff like that. But there's this whole other set of 
of things that can be automated, which is what people are talking about. Like, I, you know, one thing uh, when they say high tech greenhouse, like I often hear people make this distinction between, you know, like a, a, in my mind, a hoop house doesn't have heat, a greenhouse has heat, and then a high tech greenhouse has all the other bells and whistles, you know, thermal screens, carbon dioxide, biomass, like all, all these other things. And so obviously we don't have time for all that stuff today. I guess I just wanted to bring it up and you know, so people know that a if they do have a, a more complicated, a more high tech greenhouse, that the Arisha system is able to to automate a lot of different things, and also so growers know that those things exist. You know, because if if you've only worked in a hoop house, you probably don't know the level of automation and control you can get with all the other bells and whistles. So I almost just wanted to mention it so growers know that if if it's out there. Also, if you're having specific production problems, you know, like like for example, if your crop is very hard to to balance, you know, if, if you're having problems like your crop is staying very, very vegetative and despite your best efforts to say like increase the day nighttime temperature differential, go farther between irrigations and things like that. And it just won't balance out. You know, there there are more things you can do. So, yeah, we would be here all day long if we talked about all that stuff. But there are a couple more things I'd like to talk about before we let you go. But one thing that you brought up in our last conversation, I don't think we got to completely explore was pest control. I know that you mentioned misting to help raise the humidity and control spider mites, which thrive in really dry conditions. You know, it's interesting. We we actually here in central Maine, the climate is actually fairly similar to where you are in Quebec. We don't usually have that big of a problem with spider mites, but a couple, a few seasons back, we had a really dry summer. And all of a sudden I was like, what are these weird little webs all over the cucumbers? And like, and we got this terrible infestation of spider mites. So can you tell us a little bit about like the misting that you would use to control spider mites? Or if there are other better examples of how you can use greenhouse automation for to, to help prevent pests and diseases? Yeah, well, the, the, the first one is uh, controlling humidity uh, that we talked about earlier. Uh, that, that I think that would be the first one I would address. And you you already, like, first step, I uh, recommend people get these roll-up automated. And uh, if you do it, then you can, you can already control that humidity, so you don't need any extra stuff. So first thing to reduce the, the pressure of problems. And then if you have spider mites and, or other problem of insects, I, I'm not the biggest experts for pests. So I don't, I don't want to overextend and say things that, <laughs> that, that isn't true, but I know a lot of people are using it for spider mites, especially spider mites. And you can, by, by keeping the leaves wet, you prevent them from reproducing. So it's easier to manage once you get there. And you use it a bit like irrigation. So you give a shot of water every that many minutes, and then you can, I don't know, 10 minutes per half an hour or something, depending on your system. But it, w- it would just make it harder for them to thrive so that it's easier to uh, control after that with IPM, so like with the beneficial insects or, or whatever. <laughs> That's something that can be useful, and we see it mostly with cucumbers. Tomatoes aren't typically, uh, we're not hearing problem about it, uh, but cucumbers, a lot of people here in Quebec like struggle with it. And I believe we have a customer that used that and the solar sensor. Like she, she already, she was already automated, but she added the solar sensor to adapt to her irrigation and uh, the misting system for her uh, peppers, hot peppers. And I think she said I basically doubled her production year over year 
from using the, these two. So uh, it's always hard to compare because there's so many different factors that can influence the yields. But still, that's a good sign, <laughs> I, I would say. So uh, that's how we, we see it used. But for farmers who are, aren't automated, like we, we mentioned a lot of different stuff, don't do it all at once. Just start optimizing one thing at a time. And because if you're going too fast, too far, you, you won't have time to get everything under control and then make another step. So like, like you said earlier with uh, big growers, like they're only talking about generative and vegetative because the rest has been cleared, right? They, they, they already optimized the rest. It's under control. Everything's fine. But making too many different changes at a time, it's hard to know where the impact comes from and what you need to keep doing and what you need to stop doing. So go slowly and improve one thing at a time. It's easier in the cash flow as well. So misting won't be the first thing I would recommend. Start with those time-consuming roll-ups and then heating and irrigation. And then maybe if you have problems with spider mites, misting can come interesting. Yeah, right. Well, that's a really good point is that there's a lot of things that can be automated in a greenhouse like that. The list that I just read, you know, of all all the different things that Arisha can hook into. But probably if you haven't used a greenhouse like that before. Yeah, it's ba- it's baby steps, right? Is it if if you're going from an unheated hoop house to a greenhouse? OK, so you add a heater automate the sides and then see then see what your production problems are then watering is funky add you know automate the watering you're growing a lot of cucumbers you have spider mites you know you can use the misting which i you know that's half the reason that i wanted to bring that up just so people could know that 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 can be because yeah spider mites when they get going on cucumbers are, t- are terrible and so you know that's the kind of thing i mean it's like like with i feel like with all these things we're just looking for a happy medium right as not too wet not too dry because like let's say if it's too dry okay maybe you get spider mites but if it's too wet then you have other disease problems as you know a lot of the foliar diseases in all all of these greenhouse crops are caused from having moisture on the leaves in fact it i remember there's a really big greenhouse. It's about 42 acres of just tomatoes here, just a few miles away from here, where I am here in Maine. It's, it's, it was called Backyard Farms. Actually, it got, it got bought by Mastronardi up in Canada. So I don't know if they still use that name, but so it, it was kind of interesting because I could go visit with them from time to time. And I remember one year we had a really bad late blight outbreak here in Maine. And so I think all of our hoop house, unheated hoop house tomatoes, even in the, the hoop house had, had died because first all the field tomatoes died, right? Because the leaves get really wet when it rains. And then our, because we couldn't control humidity in our hoop house, we would have a lot of moisture on the condensation and moisture on the leaves in the morning. And so people don't know, late blight needs there to be moisture on the leaves for the late blight pathogen to infect the leaf, right? And so I was coming, it was a year that we had a really bad late blight outbreak here in Maine. And so I went from my own, my farm where all the tomatoes were already dead, had died from late blight and go into this big, huge 42 acre definition of high tech greenhouse. And first of all, all the, the tomatoes are all alive, you know, they're fine. And they don't have any late blight resistance. And so I asked the grower, I was like, like, what's going on here? I was like, I was like, all my tomatoes are dead. And don't you even worry about late blight? And they were like, no, because we, we keep it dry enough in here that there's no moisture. There's no condensation. And so they were like, even though our tomatoes don't have late blight resistance, we don't get late blight because 
the it ne- we never have condensation. And I was like, okay, because because actually at the at the time that's when I was working for Johnny's, and so I was doing greenhouse variety trials. And what I noticed is that as people were starting to incorporate late blight resistance into their their field tomatoes, right? So, but they there were no greenhouse tomatoes with late blight resistance, and I realized it was a, a an aha moment for me. I realized like, oh, they don't care about late blight resistance in greenhouse tomatoes because they're assuming that they'll be grown in a, a greenhouse that has good humidity control where there's no condensation. So they don't care. The spores can blow around the plants. As long as there's no condensation on those leaves, the spores can't penetrate the, the cell walls. So, you know, that, that was an interesting thing for, for me. Yeah. I- you mentioned about what can we do about uh, diseases. And I said, oh, humidity control. And, and one part of it is that condensation you just mentioned. One thing that uh, helps with that also is like ramping up the temperature in the morning, not having like that huge spike of temperature when the sun comes up, because then you're going to have condensation problem because uh, plants are going to stay colder than the air and then things are going to condensate on it. So that's another place where like uh, automation can help is that you won't do that by hand, like staying next to your greenhouse and okay, so uh, I'll open it a bit. I'll wait five minutes. Okay, a bit more. Five minutes. And then that doesn't make sense. Like if you do it by hand, but if you have it, like, and a lot of systems are doing it, like uh, systems are made for greenhouses. So just uh, gets those roll up open slowly in the morning to avoid that peak of, of heat of like for, caused by the sun. You, you save a lot of problem for condensation and you don't have to wake up at sunrise to do it. So it's win-win. Right. Well, and I know another thing, if growers ha- do have heat, you know, you can tell me if you, d- you agree with this or if you disagree with this, I would tell growers that they could start ramping up from their nighttime low temperature. Like whatever their nighttime low was, they could start the heaters start ramping up towards their daytime temperature before the sun even comes up. So that by the time the sun hits a greenhouse and all of a sudden everything gets warm, the the air, they've already essentially pre-warmed the air. So once again, they don't have that big spike in temperature when the, the, the sun comes up because it's, it's already warmed up. I think with Arisha, it starts two hours before sunrise or two hours and a half or something like that yeah. to, to get that ramp. And it activates the plant also. It, may, it starts the plant kind of waking up and getting active and ready for the day, let's say. Right. So that once, as soon as the, the sun hits the greenhouse, right, the plant could photosynthesize. But if it's re- if it's really cold from the night, it's not going to start photosynthesizing at, at maximum capacity. So I think what you're saying is that it's basically already had its coffee. That's like warming it up in the morning is getting it is yeah, like is activating the plant before the sun even comes up, so that by like that first those first jewels coming in, the plant can just start using them instead of having to warm up and then start photosynthesizing. So right, because nobody wants to do that. Nobody, it would be in the dark. Nobody like by definition, you know, you don't want to be out there turning your heaters on. At 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's we, yeah, we we talk about the mental health benefits of automation. Is exactly it's, it's getting a good night's sleep. It's definitely one of the benefits. So yeah, and other thing with these basic thing I just thought about is also when when we talk about maximizing the photosynthesis capacity of the plant, is if your roll up is like your it, it stays open when it gets colder, then the plant's gonna have like a cold shock, like a thermal shock because it's too cold. And that's another place where like even basic automation can help you avoid these moments because when the the plant gets into 
like that, these, these kind of thermal shock, it, it shuts down again and have the same problems we mentioned earlier. So for a few hours, the plant is kind of going to be, it's going to be in, oh, uh, it's cold. I'm just going to protect myself. And then it's going to be in recovery, like tentatively trying to go back and open its stomata and then uh, start again the, the growth production, the growth machine. <laughs> so there's a lot of small things that like the, the low-hanging fruits that people can get from automating even not having to do much. Like we mentioned a lot of different things. And to be honest, most of our customers don't use that huge range of, uh, of pro device of, of whistle and bling and uh, whistle and what was, what's the expression? I think whistle and bling is really good. Uh, bells and bells and whistles is the idiom. Uh, bells and whistles. <laughs> okay, bells and whistles. I'm just a poor French speaker, sorry. So, so the, um, there's a lot of like easy low-hanging fruits that people can get. And the thermal screen, typically, like market gardeners don't use it. Like we have customers, that, people who use are more like uh, growing like ornamental stuff. And sometimes like bigger producers, to be honest, we, we've done it because uh, big projects help us finance the development for what we're doing. But if I, w- I would do it again, I think I would try to focus more on market gardeners because that's the people we want to to help. That's I think that's where there's the most value that we can bring. And everything we developed side to it is not helping us progress that way. So uh, there's a lot of bells and whistle uh, that very few of our customers uses. So like, I, I think most people shouldn't care about these advanced stuff. So start simple. And then once you see, okay, that's cool. I improve my, my, my production, then see what's, what's the next low hanging fruit and progress step by step is there's a lot that you can gain with little. Yeah. I think that's a really good point to make is that it's probably the minority of people who are going to use all that stuff, you know, the, the, you know, carbon dioxide, <laughs> thermal screens, thermal screens, biomass and all that kind of stuff. But I guess, I, yeah, once again, I just wanted to bring it up so people know, like there's other, I wanted to know people to know what tools are in the toolbox. You know, if you think about like, if you talk about like pulling the levers of like, like I want to make my plant more this way or that way. You can, you know, you want, you got to know what levers are even available. So, but I, I agree for most growers. Yeah. Something automating, heating, ventilation, watering, maybe humidity. That's probably the place to start. Those are the good low hanging fruit right there. Maybe there's others, but I, you're right. Probably for people listening to this podcast, the majority of them, uh, they're going to get a lot out of just automating, you know, those four things. Just the sides. Yeah. 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 But then, you know, I just wanted to know, like, since since we're on the, the this is the advanced talk, right? We're, we're doing the, the we're, we're really geeking out here. I just wanted to mention the full range of, of everything because, you know, it, yeah, it's, it is baby steps. You know, maybe you add you add those four things. And then, you, but you're still like, you have the chance to expand and want to build a, a uh, greenhouse with more, more bells and whistles, more, more whistles <laughs> and bling. And so, yeah. you know, and so it's good to know, like, oh, like, oh, I mean, some of them are very practical, like the thermal screens, like you could a lot of that is just about saving money and saving. So I just wanted to bring up all this stuff just so people know it's out there. It's integratable. It's automatable. Even if the vast majority of our audience really only automates like two, three or four things. Yeah. And I think we mentioned before, uh, but uh, having an idea of where you can get is interesting because knowing what's in the toolbox, uh, but also what you can get from using the toolbox 
uh, is interesting. And I, mean, I think as I talked about it in the other podcast, but the difference between the people in Quebec that have all that help from the government and everything and everyone else outside of Quebec that doesn't have that chance, difference in, in yields is huge. And the amount of greenhouses kind of follow. So we see about one greenhouse in Canada, in, in Quebec, for the same grower that would have three out of Quebec and sometimes four. So you, you pay four times the metal, the equipment, the time uh, you invest in it for the same result. So if you can get that $40,000 out of one single greenhouse, would you need to have as many to work as much and everything? So that's kind of what I would put in people's mind. How can you get to 40 grand in one greenhouse? And that's a diversified greenhouse. It's not only tomatoes. It's I think the, the one I have in mind is what six seven different crops so you can get a lot of out of it with and the low-hanging fruits are going to get you most of the way there and then it's just learning how to answer your plants needs better make your plants happier and we there's some things that are more technical like i mentioned a lot of uh, going into too much too many details but more and more we're integrating it into uh, the app so that people don't need to think about that so uh, there's I find it like a very hopeful way to forward so so that we, we can, everyone can benefit from better yields and having less uh, mental stress and mental burden around everything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's actually, I mean, just having this conversation, it, it reminded me that uh, I've heard it called the 80-20 rule saying that like you're going to get 80% of your improvements out of 20% of your work or like you're going to get 80% of your profit out of 20% of like the, the most important 20% of things you're doing. Right. Yeah. So, so like probably the four things, the four easiest things that we've talked about automating are going to get you, I don't know if it's 80%, but probably gets you a lot of that. And then if you want to make, continue making refinements, there's other stuff you can do on top of that, but probably just without overcomplicating it, automating the simple things is going to get you 80% are going to get you a lot of, a lot of like a lot of yield and plant health benefits over not automating anything. Yeah, exactly. Because these, the numbers are like the 40 grand out of a 30 by a hundred greenhouses. It's just the, 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 those four basics that, that they automate. They have good help, like with those extension agents that we were talking about, but we're trying to make it so that people can get most of it. Even if, if, uh, the grants aren't there to allow that kind of help for farmers outside of Quebec. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I know because I've visited people there. Yeah, you have an amazing network of of growers there in Quebec and so I'm uh, I'm glad you're sharing with the rest of us. <laughs> That's the plan. Yeah. Well, and and you know, you're talking about increasing your yield so much. I I know it's possible because I mean, that's one of the things I talk about in my greenhouse book is that we doubled the yields that we got out of our our let's say a tomato greenhouse. Like I know because we we have records. So from like the first year that we built our unheated hoop houses, and and not even adding heat, just just making some changes, we fully doubled the the yield that we got out of a tomato house. And and I know that's not even the the end of it. Because those houses weren't even very automated, I and mean, there's things like we we increase planting density and grafting, right? So there's there's some things that are not automation related. You know, there's a lot of things growers can do, like if like particularly on tomatoes, like grafting. Grafting is definitely worth considering. That'll that'll boost your yields. You know, increasing de plant density. 
and there's some things that go along with that, like having ha- half fans, you know, we talked about the horizontal airflow fans, like, well, part of part of increasing density is making sure that there's good airflow. So, you know, some of the stuff that we did is, you know, a lot of our things were just cultural. We were able to double. We didn't even automate very much. So I'm sure we could probably double again, you know, using different varieties because we would always grow some heirloom tomatoes and they're always lower yielding than the, you know, like, like greenhouse varieties. So there's, yeah, there's so many things. I don't doubt that people can double like just really improve their their production if if they can make cultural and automation kind of improvements they can there's there's a lot of room to grow definitely yeah we the we're working on an ebook with all like a bunch of non automation related tricks that are kind of free uh, to uh, add in your greenhouse to add to your habits uh, and I think that only that like it, it's free it's just like the knowledge isn't. Uh, always available for people because you don't have people around them that do it. So resources like your book uh, is helping with that. I still haven't read it, but I've still heard about it this week and uh, one very good way. And uh, even like tricks, simple, like having, if you have two greenhouses, putting tomatoes and eggplants together, focusing on the tomatoes for climate, and then cucumbers and peppers together, focusing on your, on your cucumbers, like just simple tricks can make a huge difference. So if people are interested in uh, improving in their greenhouses. There's a lot of material. It's hard sometimes to kind of read everything, uh, but, but, but still it's there. So we're, we're trying to just make things as accessible as possible because there's other things to do in the day than r- reading all the content available. Uh, but if you can, go for it because there's so many tricks that, that can help you. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like we were saying, you know, like if you like nerding out about this stuff, there's a lot of stuff that you can go out there and read. <laughs> if you're not so into nerding out about it and want to stick to the other things on your farm, just automate it. So yeah, leave it <laughs> to someone else. Yeah, yeah. Leave, leave it to Guillaume. To worry so, about it. Yeah, yeah. Would be my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I feel, you, you know, you have that, uh, the, that word in English, uh, Tamagotchi. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the little the little pets. The, yeah, the little pets. You have to to keep them alive and uh, yeah. feed them properly and everything. Sometimes I feel like that, but with like a, a hundreds of greenhouses, like <laughs> making keep, keeping every plant happy all the time and making sure nothing happens. Especially when we started out and we were always looking for everything. But nowadays, it's things are all automated, so we don't need to check as much personally. We still do though, but that's uh, that helps us uh, to keep improve all the time. That's another cool point of uh, automation. What we're doing is that we collect so much data that we can use to keep improving to make things better. But that's geeky engineer stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it should be just like everything. You know, we've our world has become such a data world. You know, there's there's so much data to be collected and so, like somebody's probably squirreling it away somewhere. I imagine you have probably have years now of data on how, you know, how these systems are working, which you can probably use to just keep, keep making them better and better. Yeah. Well, it's mostly, we don't sometimes like a research organization contacts us. So that, that it's useful for that. But most of the time it's just when farmers have problems or they're wondering about stuff, like being able to follow what they're like to connect onto their system and help them remotely. I think that's, uh, that, that adds a lot to what we're doing because uh, that's my colleague was saying earlier, like 90% of problems people call us and within 10 minutes it's, it's solved because we can 
just know what's happening and uh, give a hand, say, okay, it's sometimes it's just like reassuring. Yeah, it's normal. We talked about it earlier. It's normal. The sides are open. The, the heater is on. But it's normal. It's totally, it, it, it's what's intended to do. It seems reckless, but uh, here's what it's for. And uh, we added some information in the app so that people don't feel as confused. But yeah, having that technology that allows us to kind of help as if we were on site, it's something very cool that humanity has gotten to uh, the capacity to do that. So anyway, that was my passion moment of uh, what we can do. <laughs> yes, good. That's uh, where the passion and meets the nerdery. It's the... <laughs> It's what keeps us geeking out on this stuff, right? Is that it's, it's, um, I mean, that's what I think is agriculture is just, it, as always, it's one of those things like doesn't take that long to learn, but takes a lifetime to master. You know, there's always another layer where like you get good at one thing and there's always something else. And so it's good to see that you have that still have that passion after doing it for this many years. Yeah, but I think it's the same than farmers. It's when you talk to your customers and they tell you how much they appreciate what you do. That's what keeps you motivated because you, you see the impact you have. So you, what do you say? Passion, uh, nerdiness, and then people, like people, people's feedback that uh, keep us there, I think. I'm sure it's the same for you. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, that's, that's good to hear. All right. Well, Guillaume, we've taken up quite a bit of your time today and we've gotten through most of the questions that I have for you. But I wanted to say, is there anything that you wish that I had asked you about or anything else that you wanted to talk about before we let you go? I think you covered a lot. Of, we covered a lot of ground uh, today. And if people have questions, once again, just our, our, our goal is to help. Like I used to say, what we're doing is 25% hardware, 75% service. So like, ask, like, give us a call or email us. And it, it helps us also knowing where the needs are and what we can cover better. So just inviting people to reach out if there's anything. Okay, great. And remind us, where can people find you on a website or social media, wherever you want people to find you? Yeah, we have a website. Uh, we're working on it to make it clearer. We're better at technology than marketing communication. So we're still working on it. But uh, the, and one part of that error was that our website ends with a weird, it's not .com, it's .io. So it's arisha.io. And uh, I think that's the simplest way to get the contacts. Like the phone number is there, email and, and everything. And then there's the information. We, we wrote a few blogs trying to explain the non too deta technically detailed version of what we talked about today. To, so if people want to try to include these practices into their, their farm, there's some resources on there. So I think uh, the, our website or Arisha Greenhouse is on Google, probably your best option. And if you want to put my email in the show notes, uh, people can reach out directly as well. Okay. Yeah, we can Yeah, we can do that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Guillaume. I've enjoyed both of our conversations so much. I hope that, I th that our audience will too. I think they'll find a lot that's useful there. So thanks so much for so much of your time and uh, keep in touch. I want to know how these updates progress and maybe we can do a check-in sometime down the road when you've, when you've made changes that are, that are worth talking about. Yeah, sure. For those who are interested, the newsletter on the website can keep you updated as well as for what's new and what uh, new feature can help you or not. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll find out. All right. Well, thank you so much, Guillaume. 
take care and maybe we'll see you again sometime. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. It's always nice to have people uh, interested in greenhouse details. <laughs> thank you, Andrew. All right. Thanks, Guillaume. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Growing for Market podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, please consider giving us a follow and a rating or a review. It really helps others find the podcast. For more tips and tricks from farmer to farmer, check out our magazine at growingformarket.com. Whether you're a commercial grower or just want to grow like one, subscribe to Growing for Market magazine for the nitty gritty of growing, marketing, and the business of market farming. We publish 10 issues per year with articles written by experienced farmers on topics ranging from tools and techniques to farm business operations and marketing. If you've been listening to the Growing for Market podcast and haven't yet checked out Growing for Market magazine, we've made a change so you can try the magazine for free. We've added a free month to the beginning of all first-time subscriptions. Try out the digital or paper magazine subscription for a month, and if it's not for you, cancel within 28 days and you'll never get billed. Even the most basic subscription gets you a year of the magazine, plus 150 back issues from the last 15 years. With digital subscriptions starting at just $30 per year, head on over to growingformarket.com and subscribe today to benefit from over three decades of writing by farmers for farmers in Growing for Market magazine.